welcome everybody to episode 21 of the Katie and Me podcast. As always, I am Chris Hutchinson and I am joined by my incredible partner, Katie Rogers. Katie, how are you doing today? Hi, Chris. I'm fabulous. It's it's a good, sunny, beautiful day in the Midwest. And I know how much you love the Midwest winters, so you're probably soaking up every bit of sun that you can. I am. I'm so excited. We got to 50 today. And one of my friends in Florida pointed out, she's like, it got so cold here. It got down to 66. And I was like, Arr. shut up. Yeah. <laughs> We're also, uh, as always, producer Pete is uh, in the background, making sure that Katie and I sound okay. We are still utilizing Zoom. Hopefully we'll get back to our studio one of these days. But Katie and I each have a topic today that aren't necessarily linked at all. So that's how we're going to rock today. I will probably kick things off here, but before we do that, just want to thank our show partner, Audible. Audible is the leading provider of spoken word entertainment and audiobooks, ranging from bestsellers to celebrity memoirs, news, business, and self-development. Audible helps people get more stories and information through the gift of found time, which we all have been able to capitalize over this last year plus now. I think we're actually up at the year kind of anniversary of when most quarantine started. So if you haven't already taken advantage of Audible, you should now, because I think there's still going to be plenty of time for you to have some found time. Uh, so to get a free trial today, please visit audibletrial.com backslash Katie and me podcast. And Katie is always spelled K-A-T-Y. Katie, I'm going to jump in here and I'm going to talk about presenting to the boardroom, something that, that I get to do with my job on occasion. It's not always just to boardroom folks. I also do a lot of presentations and in fact, have one after we record this on a Sunday evening. I'm doing a presentation for a coding high school in Seattle. So I'm going to be talking to them tonight, 8 p.m. Eastern time, because that's obviously a time difference for those that haven't looked at a map in a while. Can't My, travel anymore. We're so confused. I know. I can't figure out what time it is, what day it is, but I know that uh, a month ago, these actually, I should probably talk about this. I'll talk about it after the presentation, but really cool group of, of high school kids in Seattle have started kind of their own free coding academy where they're they bring in, you know, guest lecturers and speakers and are trying to kind of self-teach themselves code. And I came across them just doing some research and reached out to them and had a really cool conversation. And they asked if I could just talk about what my real day job is and, and options that high school kids may have coming out of high school. So pretty impressive Thanks. group so far, to be honest. But so that one will probably be a little bit less nerve wracking. I, I do feel like I know enough to be able to talk competently to most high school students, hopefully. But there are plenty of times when I make presentations to C-level executives or uh, top decision makers and organizations that I still get really nervous about, but I've kind of learned and, and trained myself over the years to, I think, be fairly effective. You've seen me talk a lot, Katie. I mean, I mostly can, 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 can communicate pretty well, other than the fact just now <laughs> as I try to say that sentence. <laughs> just right. That right. But I practice. know... I mean, you present, or you're not going to say who it is, and I I'm won't not. either, but you presented to like one of the biggest juggernauts on this planet this week, which was yeah, super it was cool. Yeah, it was a pretty, and it's it's the most nervous I've been in a long time for sure, but it was a, it was pretty cool, you know, pretty cool to be able to say that I presented to this organization, this company, and it, it went really well. So, and you know me, I I wasn't the only one talking. I kind of led things from from our side of our business, but we had plenty of other team members that helped contribute to that. So I just want to make sure that I say that. So anybody listening, 
that I work with doesn't think that I'm claiming all the credit for this, but um, it was it was pretty exciting, particularly the size of our organization compared to this. Anytime you're in that room, um, mm-hmm. it can be you know very intimidating. So one of the things that that I kind of do, whether I'm presenting a presentation I know really well and I've done a million times, or if it's one that we've had to make tweaks to, I just kind of embrace how I'm feeling like physiologically, like I embrace the nerves or if I'm feeling really confident, I embrace that confidence. And that's, that takes practice and it takes a lot of time of of doing the presentation or knowing it Mm -hmm. to kind of gauge where you're feeling. And you hear me talk about it. I try and squeeze it in every time Uh, I got my master's degree in sports psychology. And there are, there's a lot of physiological components to performing well. uh, And and that's a big part of what sports psych is about. Well, kind of knowing how you're feeling, it helps you settle in to that particular presentation. So if I am feeling really confident, that takes me to that headspace of, you know what, this is, this is going to be, this is going to be a great presentation. If Mm -hmm. I'm feeling really nervous, well, then that tells me there's things that I have to do to get that confidence level up or get me to that physiological space that's going to have me being able to kind of perform at my optimal level. So it's okay if you have nerves, embrace that, but also you need to know where you are best performing when you're making these presentations. So I have a good friend of mine that uh, actually just, he's a great presenter, but he gets incredibly nervous and so mm-hmm. he takes he takes a beta blocker, okay? He takes a beta blocker before he has to make a big presentation. There's other other avenues. I mean, you can have a breathing routine or- You can get or, completely stoned. <laughs> yes, I'm just kidding. Or that, I'm just or kidding. that. <laughs> you can take like a 20 milligram gummy and see how that presentation goes. Oh no, God, I don't, you know I the don't recommend that. I don't recommend that. Um, okay. don't, and don't do 20 milligrams. Either. So okay. um, but, <laughs> go ahead. Sorry. No, so, no, no I, I'm just, I'm just imagining like it's been so long since I've been a complete nervous wreck before yeah. I speak. And yeah. So what made this even more fun this week, Katie, is that our uh, vice president of marketing, like, I got the final slides 45 minutes before this presentation and I knew it, but I didn't know it, know it. And so that Mm -hmm. was definitely adding to my nerves. And then our vice president of marketing was making slide changes and like moving things around to like, you know, get the branding look right. Like six minutes before the presentation was supposed to start. (laughs) And finally I was like, you have to go sit down now so that I can try and memorize these slides and know exactly what I'm talking about. So I also don't recommend doing that. Um, that's not so the be best prepared prep. is what yes. you're saying. <laughs> Do not wait. But again, this was, we got introduced to this company through a, another partner company. And so they had kind of sent me, Hey, these are the talking points you really need to hit. So normally I wouldn't wait to get the slides that late, but that's just how it shook out. And mm-hmm. so really I was nervous, but I did a couple of things, a couple of tricks that I used for myself to try and get myself calmed down and, and ready for the presentation. Do tell. Uh, well, for me, uh, I just literally walked out in the hallway and had nobody around me for a couple minutes and just kind of controlled my breathing a little bit and uh-huh. kind of reminded myself through some some self-talk that, you know, there's some, some things I say, but I won't necessarily say them here. But essentially, like, you know, you're the man, you got this. Uh, you're good you're, enough. You're yeah, smart exactly. enough and doggone it, people <laughs> yeah. like you. Maybe like, you know, an F-bomb in there or something about, you know, <laughs> you're badass. I don't know. Something along those lines. So kind of got myself centered and then, you know, was able to to kind of jump into things that way. But really, I think what makes me a pretty decent presenter is practice. And and I have to present so often that even live presentations, they still, it's still practice. It's just like Mm -hmm. doing it in like in a rhythm and kind of knowing where you are in the presentation and and what, what prompts are going to kind of give you 
give you opportunities to talk about certain things. So I do live practice reads. I've done some live reads with coworkers, particularly on new presentations. Where I work right now, I'm getting a chance to present a lot and we're, we're presenting information that isn't necessarily just about the organization I work for, but we're presenting content and we're representing it as like subject matter expertise in particular areas. And so we're rotating new content in every month when we're making these presentations. And so it's not necessarily information that I already know, like the it's back not the of my same hand. presentation exactly. every time. Yeah. So I make sure that I do some practice reads and, and some practice reads with coworkers to try and get the timing and the flow down. Um, because if you feel comfortable and you have your timing down, you can kind of you know settle through anything really as long as you know you have that level of comfort. So to me, that's the practice makes perfect is really, really true with presentations as well. Um, And I would definitely recommend doing some live reads with somebody that will give you constructive real world criticism to make that presentation the best that it can be. And then here's another real big piece. And I've done it before, but don't just read the slides. (laughs) Nobody wants to sit in an audience and just have slides read back to them. I use, or I try to use the words on the slides to help me refocus if I lose my train of thought. So if someone interrupts me or somebody asks a question, which in boardrooms is a lot more common than if you're just doing a presentation at a seminar, usually people are going to sit quietly for your 20 or 30 minutes and then ask questions at the end. But when you're in a boardroom, anything goes and they may interrupt it. In fact, this presentation last week interrupted right in the middle. Hey, I have a hard stop in 15 minutes. I need to get the, you know, I need to get answers to some of these questions. And so then you kind of have to pivot and be able to address those and and field those questions. But if you do get knocked off track, I use those bullet points to kind of refocus myself. I may read one or two bullets off the slide to then find my place again, and then kind of pick back up. But as you'll see now, more and more presentations, it's less words. I get made fun of because I still tend to try and pack a lot of words in slides. And so some of my coworkers are like, yeah, these slides are hot garbage because there's nothing but bullet points. We need images and you need to be able to just talk by you know, seeing an image and kind of use that as your prompt. So most presentations that you're seeing now are usually much more visual. And then it's up mm-hmm. to the person that's presenting you know, to, to kind of fill to in. Exactly. Yeah. So which, which I'm good at, but it, t- it takes practice. And I will always have some verbiage on slides because I don't like using notes. However, if you are a note person, definitely use notes and don't let yourself be stuck out there without, you know, a life, a life preserver. Mm-hmm. But for me, instead of having like notes worked into the slides or a separate set of notes in my hands, I usually rely entirely on the presentation itself and use some of those words as the, you know, the to be my talking point. Well, I mean, okay. So, you know, I'm kind of all over the place all the time. If you give me something to read on the slide, I will stop listening to you. I will read it and I will read it over and over. Like I, I, if you give me something to engage with, to read, I I will start not uh, like tuning you out. So I get that the visual is better that way. But my big thing is when I'm, I lose track of what I'm saying. Mm -hmm. I've, I trained myself from way back in like high school speech and all that kind of stuff. I trained myself to say the phrase, let me come back to that. But if I'm not using notes, I, you, you know how I always write on my hands. Yeah. You should yeah, not do. do that in these meetings. Right. So like, <laughs> I've caught myself. Without, <laughs> right. So I've caught myself in situations where I didn't have notes with me and I've, I've like out of habit. So let me come back to that. 
and yeah. very unprofessionally written on my skin like a middle schooler. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, what I just do? And then I was really disorientated. So I had this great fix all rehearsed that I've always used. And I just screwed it up because suddenly I felt like, oh, I'm like a little kid in front of these people now. Well, but anyway, that's my no, I mean, that's But at least you at least you captured the, the note, in all honesty, because <laughs> what I will and then I was going to talk about this towards the end. But if you have a question that you don't know the answer to. Now, obviously, if you're presenting on Shark Tank and you don't know the answer, if you're in a big boardroom <laughs> situation and you're the only representative there and you don't have an answer, it's a little bit tougher. But right. I, I would rather admit and say, listen, I don't have that answer for you right now, but I can promise to find it for you and follow back up with you by the end mm-hmm. of the day. That is kind of my, I'm not going to try and BS my way through something that I know nothing about. And I actually, in a separate meeting last week, I got asked something and I knew I knew it, but I forgot it. Mm-hmm. And so instead of me trying to flounder my way through it, I just said, you know what? I'm not 100% sure. Let me get back to you after this presentation. So mm-hmm. I, and, and you've got to have that ready, right? I yes. mean, you kind of have to have that ready. Otherwise, you do. You're like a deer in the headlights yes. while you're searching your brain. Right. And yeah. I would much rather buy myself some time, even in the short run, if it's maybe a little off-putting that I didn't know the answer immediately. To me, it's always better to get the actual information correctly yeah. and, and get it to them that way. But you don't want your entire Q&A to be, I don't know, I don't know. But so, you know, again, you, you need to know your material. But if there is something that you get stuck on, I think it's okay to say, listen, I don't know that right now, but I, I will find it out for you. The other thing with, because we were talking about folks that maybe use notes as part of their presentation, mm-hmm. I think notes are great if that's how you're going to do your presentations. But you also need to know that presentation without notes as well. Because I can't tell you how many times, and this is another point, especially we haven't had to do this as much during COVID, but I've had to go to locations to give presentations in the past. And you want to have your presentation in any and all formats possible. I even Mm -hmm. bring like a hard copy with me in case every piece of technology breaks down that I can at least still have something to, you know, to talk to them about. I have Mm -hmm. it saved as a PDF. I have it saved as a PowerPoint. Mm -hmm. Um, I'll have it in a flash drive. I'll have it on my computer. And that's just part of me being OCD. But I've seen situations and I had one professionally where literally 30 seconds ago, the presentation just disappeared from my computer and I could not find it. And it was my turn to go and present. And I had to do it all off the top of my head, which was incredibly challenging. Um, Challenging. Yeah, Yeah, I was freaked out. Um, But (laughs) I was able to get through it, uh, mainly because I had practiced it a bunch. But Mm -hmm. I think the look of anger on my face was still pretty evident because I was like, I did all the right things. It was already already up on the screen and then it just disappeared and I couldn't figure out where it went. I felt like somebody was like punking me or something. So you want to make sure that you are prepared and you have the presentation every which way from Sunday, anytime you have to go and make that presentation, don't rely on their technology to be accurate. Uh, I always bring like an extra plug-in cord, you know, I always mm-hmm. try and figure Adapters. out what, yeah, exactly, yeah. what type of device I'm going to be showing it on, all of those things so that I can try and alleviate as much of the exterior stress as possible. So then mm-hmm. it's just a matter of, you know, being up in front of these folks. And I'm, I know I'm coming up in my time here, but all of this. So you have to practice all this, have these, you know, real trusted dry runs with people that you work with, people that aren't just going to say, oh, you're a great presenter. Have them like really dig in and how can you make it better? And it does take a lot of practice. And I know speaking, it's it's like one of the top, top fears, fears yeah. of people like all over the country, right? Mm-hmm. All over the world. Is yeah. It's like crazy. death and public speaking. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. So I get it that some folks are maybe more well-versed in it. And everyone's always like, oh, Hutch, you're saying external facing personality. And I, I can't ever see you getting nervous. 
you know, publicly speak. I was nervous this week. This was the biggest presentation that I've ever been a part of or led. And I was nervous and it didn't help that five minutes beforehand, we were still messing with slides. So I was definitely out of my comfort zone, but having been in business now for however many years, I'm 48 and having done this a lot, I was able to rely a lot on past experiences. And I think that helped me pull through it. And I was fortunate in that this presentation, we were talking about things that I'm really comfortable with. So it was a little bit more about the organization and not necessarily brand new subject matter material. So that kind of helped me as well. It was just in a different format. And, you know, I, I wanted to make sure I didn't, you know, trip and stumble through that, but it's okay to be nervous, but the only way you're going to get better at it is, is practicing it. So unlike what I did with my master's degree thesis, where I crammed and waited to the very last minute for my exit oral exam. <laughs> Again, doesn't recommend that. No, I don't recommend that. If you know that you have a presentation, give yourself as much time as possible and mm -hmm. practice the heck out of it where it, you know, it almost becomes routine because the more routine and comfortable you are, the easier it is for you to then kind of have engaging conversations or be able to answer questions a little bit more comfortably because you're that much more comfortable with the material. So with that, I will always say you want to get to a point where, and this isn't the phrase that we typically use, but I will say you want to have big person energy. So you want to develop a little bit of a swagger uh, around presenting. And if you can get to that point, it's very empowering. It's almost like, okay, there isn't anything that anybody can throw at me that I'm not going to be able to respond well to. And that's, that's kind of, for me, that's the ultimate. And I don't have that BPE every single time before a presentation, but I know that I can get to that level. And so that to me, like kind of helps me develop that confidence and gives me reasons to practice or make sure that I get to that point where I'm walking in feeling extremely confident. So, mm -hmm. uh, and you can use that phrase BPE if you want a big person energy, but that's mm -hmm. not the real phrase. Mm -hmm. uh, so anyway, so I will, I will come to a close on that, but hopefully folks, you know, if you're afraid to, to make presentations, et cetera, practice them with somebody that like you trust. They, you'd be amazed at the feedback that I even still get now from friends and colleagues, or you can't just be staring down the whole time. Like all those kind of things, it's really important. And it just, it gives you a much more well-rounded confidence when you have to go in and do that. So with that, I will pause and kick things over to you here in a second, Katie, but I would love to hear what people think if they've had incredible presentation stories, or if they've had stories that didn't go so well, why don't you share them with us? And you can find us at Twitter at Katie and me pod. Instagram, Katie and me podcast, or you can email us. And my email is Chris at Katie and me.com, or you can email Katie at Katie at Katie and me.com. And Katie is always K A T Y and Chris is C H R I S. So with that, Katie, what are you going to talk to us about today? Well, I want to kind of introduce the term purity spirals into our vocabularies and into our, okay. the way we conceptualize things around us. And although I didn't have a big presentation this week, I um, I did get to spend some time in a group kind of breaking down this phenomenon. Mm -hmm. And I think we would all be better off if we understood it. So I thought I would share I'm it with you guys. I'm, I don't, I'm afraid that it's going to be like a moral judgment against me. No, but no, I'm, no. I'm, exci that's, I'm excited to hear about it. Oh, see, that's a beautiful beautiful thing to say right now because that's exactly what we're trying to avoid. Um, <laughs> so, See, it's almost like we have a show together. Right, right. <laughs> it's almost like we used to just tear it up at the coffee shop for hours I do, I do bothering everyone around us. 
<laughs> I miss those days. Anyway, so so um, let me introduce you guys to this idea if you haven't heard about it. About a year ago, a friend of mine was telling me about this thing that he had listened to or read on BBC about um, a gentleman who is a, a knitter. Mm-hmm. And my friend described the story and used the term purity spiral. And I was like, hmm. I think it's self-descriptive. I don't, you know, yeah. I think it's self-explanatory. So anyway, so what I was going to do is I'm going to um, read you the two definitions that are the first things that'll come up for a purity spiral. And then we'll talk about it a little bit, but urban dictionary, my favorite, mm-hmm. <laughs> it says that it's a social ratchet effect within a community. It's a process of moral outbidding unchecked, which corrodes the group from within Ooh, intriguing, right? Rewarding those who put themselves at extremes and punishing nuance relentlessly. And it's not to be confused with virtue signaling, woke culture, or online mobs, although it is frequently virtue signaling. Hmm. They're just not the same thing. So um, it usually takes place within a defined community where being like holier than thou or purer than thou is rewarded. And those who have divergent ideas or who are trying to capture nuanced ideas, um, it says, are considered less pure and are punished. Wow. So that's that. Yeah, I know. Right. That's, okay. that's a little heavy. No, that's I like little- <laughs> it though. I like it. <laughs> Nothing like a light topic on Sunday afternoon. Yeah, exactly. And um, the the uh, Wiktionary definition is that it's a situation in which members of an ideological group become increasingly zealous and intolerant, eventually turning on other members. Hmm. So it's a little simpler. I think of this as the weaponization of victims and victimhood. What it does is it takes valuable conversations and it it destroys the noble intentions that that are there. The example that I gave this week or last week or whatever in a group that you and I are in mm-hmm. is that if you are frustrated that you know certain animals can't be can't be as uh, service animals. Gotcha, gotcha. And you really think that your kid's iguana would be a great service animal, mm-hmm. but they can't take it on a plane. And you join a group on some social media platform, and it's how to make reptiles service animals legally, and you guys are pushing for legislation. Okay. And one day, Margaret in the group makes a joke about how she's not sure dinosaurs would have been very good service animals. And Karen comes along and Karen shames her <laughs> for Karen. thinking this, right? Now, the comment could have been very lighthearted. She mm-hmm. could have been very serious. She could have wanted a conversation there. She could have just been having fun. She's on the same side with Karen, but mm-hmm. Karen is angry because she crossed the line and Karen is holier than thou. <laughs> mm-hmm. So Karen's going to attack her for this. She's not going to find out what the intention was. She's not going to allow her to have any differing view. Suddenly, if you are in the Reptiles for Service Animals legislative lobby group Mm -hmm. on social media, you had better tow the line that Karen is enforcing. Karen is engaging in a purity spiral, and anyone who jumps on is also engaging in that. My favorite real life. Yes. No, go ahead. Oh, my favorite real life example is like the French Revolution. Okay. Slash revolutions, the mm-hmm. whole right. the whole series where they just ended up eating their own. Mm-hmm. And um, growing up in in like a very religious tradition, we see this happening in religious mm-hmm. communities fairly regularly, right? It's just yeah. you have to get stricter and stricter and better and better. And this person's better than this person. And this ideology is stricter than this one until they've eaten their young. Right. And if they yeah. if you don't, then you're shunned or you're excommunicated mm-hmm. or you know any any variety of those. Yeah. So this is the thing. And you'll occasionally see this happen wherever you fall in whatever ideology. Mm -hmm. There's a potential for this to develop where um, people get 
aggressively morally superior to others. What do you think step like what what do you think drives that that moral superiority? I'm just I'm just curious like because you know you can see it um you can see it unfold in certain religions. I, I grew up Irish Catholic or Catholic, sorry. I just happen to be Irish, but there's the people that still don't eat meat on Fridays. And, you know, I mean, there is this, there's always this like one upsmanship of, well, I'm a better Catholic than you. And all of them are better than me now because I, I don't practice and haven't for a long time, but you could, you, you could kind of see it in church of like, Oh, you go to church every Sunday. Oh, well I go to church, but I'm also in the choir and mm-hmm. we meet on Wednesdays or, Oh, I also go to, you know, extra Bible study or whatever. And so it's always mm-hmm. like this kind of one upsmanship mentality, mm-hmm. which to me, and maybe this is a whole different topic, but doesn't that kind of defeat the whole purpose of religion and why you're, I mean, isn't the whole purpose is to like, you're trying to, you know, care for your fellow man, et cetera. It just, it's amazing to me, like how quickly they become, you know, who, who's a better Christian or who's, you know, who's a better Scientologist or, you know, whatever. That's it's it's that. really, yeah. And, and it, again, it happens in, in, um, a lot of religions I can think of. Right. But, um, you know, you have, you have different sects, you have different groups and one is much stricter than the other. And they take the ones who aren't as strict and they say, you don't count. You're not good enough. Right. Like you're, you're not getting into heaven or whatever your religion's thing is. So it is people wanting to feel superior. It's a form of signaling. I think, um, when somebody says, Hey, wait a minute, what, you know, why are you wearing that color or your skirt's not long enough or you're, you know, you're not adherent enough to this um, idea of, of inclusion or there's all kinds of things, right? This is, this is the French revolution being my favorite example of a political spiral where suddenly you just could not be far enough for them to not kill you. Everybody ended up at the guillotine and they're like, no, no, I promise I'm on your side. And they're like, you're not enough on my side. And it's a thing that it destroys good things. This is why I want us to understand it. And I want us to see it. And and instead of tone policing others as much, we need to tone police ourselves. Mm-hmm. And there's got to be some sense of big umbrella to get things done. And what this does is it takes a big umbrella. It takes everybody who wants reptiles to be service animals or whatever. (laughs) And suddenly only this 10% are good enough. And everybody else gets publicly shamed, kicked off a social, out of, you know, out of the group, whatever. And, but what happens to those people is they go, well, I really believe this, but man, those people are monsters. Right. And it, it, it really prevents a lot of advancement and, um, and negates the nuance that exists everywhere. And also you have to understand everyone's, I mean, everyone understands that we're on a journey, right? So when you discover like, oh, this, you know, I don't like this policy. There's some, there's some bad stuff out there and you want to become part of the group. You want to be an ally. You want to help. You're on a journey. And so this idea that like, you have to be this extreme is ridiculous. We should be embracing people who have an open mind to what we are trying to advance. Right. Would, would, um, oh man, I don't know if I want to go down this. (laughs) Well, (laughs) Uh, How are we on would, time? <laughs> would, would would evangelicalism fall under potential for this? Like it does, evangelical, it, right? It, oh, absolutely, absolutely. Um, we see that with with um, sects of of Islam. We see it with orthodoxy in different groups. It's yeah. I'm not going to break that down, but we also right. see it yeah. in in um, like anti racist work. Yeah. You'll have a few people. And the thing is, it is a tiny percentage of people who perpetuate this on the rest. Mm-hmm. 
but yeah, it's, it's, there's a certain temperament that I think really lends itself to this idea of somehow being so extreme that you are superior and that needs to be squashed. But also I want to encourage everybody that when this happens, it's okay to call it out and it's Mm -hmm. okay to create a place for the people who are being attacked over this. It's okay Mm -hmm. to, to, um, acknowledge like, Hey, it's okay. It's a journey. We're all working on it. Let's talk about it instead of jumping on bandwagons where we're lashing our allies. So um, So like an opportunity to actually have open dialogue, you mean? I mean, what a, yeah, it kills conversation. It absolutely, it it kills noble conversations, important conversations because all of a sudden nobody's good enough. I saw it recently, actually someone who really feels that they are, this was my thing recently. Um, they are very inclusive and very enlightened, made a very, like, it was making fun of someone over their age, mm. over being old. Right. And a boomer. people were rightly like, hey, <laughs> right. it wasn't even like the boomer thing. No. It was, it was worse than, way worse than that. <laughs> straight and, ageism. Um, <laughs> yeah, it was straight ageism. It was yeah. like, can you believe this person answered this this way? Ha, ha, ha. And I was like, ooh, are we, are we laughing at people? Because that's just because they're old that they answered that way. You right. know what I mean? Right, right. And, um, and somebody said, hey, that was really lousy. I'm the X age. Like, don't, don't be like that. You're supposed yeah. to be really enlightened. And it just turned it all of a sudden, everyone was just going at it. And I thought, we're all allies. You know what you need to do when somebody corrects you and it's not somebody being nasty? Yeah. Say, hey, thanks. I'm sorry. Yeah. Thank you for pointing that out to me. That's what a mature human being does when they're corrected. They go, oh, man, I didn't mean it that way, but I shouldn't have done it because obviously you took it that way, you know, and um, but I just don't see that level of maturity in in everyone. So you're going to have that kind of small percentage of people that are just dreadful to deal with. Well, I, I agree. Uh, I do think that there has been a lost art of, you know, being able to make a mistake and be corrected without immediately having to get incredibly defensive. I think right. we're pretty divided uh, as a country, you know, still, and probably will continue to be for a while. I mean, every recent vote has come down to a tiebreaker has been very close. So, you know, it's very much a Republican Democrat kind of feel in Senate um, and probably throughout the country as well. But there's that lost appreciation for a, if you make a mistake, being okay with admitting that you made a mistake and not feeling like you have to immediately defend yourself vigorously. uh, But also the, we've lost a little bit of the art of trying to correct someone without trying to appear to be superior to them, you know? Yeah. yeah. Correction shouldn't be trying to destroy people. Right. Right. You know, so it's like, it goes from zero to a hundred in a, you mm -hmm. know, it's like, bam, you said something wrong. It's that kind of that gotcha, you know, that gotcha. We got the gotcha. And so I think people are so quick to want to find a mistake in somebody else. And I mean, I've, I've fallen prey to it as well. I'm like, aha, I knew that this person was shady, you know? Um, so, um, but that having that opportunity to, to have a more open discussion, particularly amongst allies, I think is really important. You know, my work, I definitely consider myself an ally to, uh, to a number of underserved communities, but I also realize that I'm still a straight white man, aging old white man that maybe doesn't have all the answers and, and being kind of corrected or, reminded, Hey, that, that could be perceived as mansplaining or any number of, you know, things that I may have done wrong. 
I, I feel fortunate that I have enough close ties with people that I do. I stop and I listen and hear them, but they're also mm-hmm. not screaming at me or berating me either. So I think, you know, having that, it's easier to potentially understand your mistake when the messenger isn't necessarily coming at you, you know, guns a blazing right out of the gate. So um, we have to get, kind of get back to that where y- you can make a mistake admit that you made a mistake and hear why it was maybe, you know, difficult or challenging or offensive to someone else and then learn from it. But mm-hmm. the people that are delivering that, I, I think there's, there's responsibility on both sides, I guess. It was mm-hmm. a long, long way for me to get to that point, but right. there's responsibility and on both sides. It's not a, there is responsibility and, and tone does matter and our own self-awareness and kind of just social maturity matters. And yeah. so there it's okay to say, Hey, I don't think that this is, a, this is all right. You can do better than this, or here's why this is problematic, but you don't have to go after people for that. Now, when it's somebody outside of your group and they're being just vulgar and hateful and they think we should, you know, um, I don't know, kill all of the reptiles on the planet as opposed to make them service animals. I'm not going to tell you how to handle that. Right. <laughs> right. So, right. <laughs> so I mean, you, it's a situational thing. And the idea is don't eat your own, don't destroy allyship, don't treat each other like garbage. Remember, if you really care that someone on your team has done something that is a problem, then be kind if you feel like you're the best person to point it out, mm-hmm. right? And there are very few times inside of a group where a public call out is really appropriate. Yeah, you know, then you're just inviting other people to pile on and this phenomenon to take root. and And I think it's important in the groups where I'm in any kind of leadership role, we're very careful about being tender with each other and encouraging and helping each other along because attacking each other is futile. It's, it's just destroys good things, like we said. So anyway, so watch out for purity spirals. Um, check yourself if you have this inclination. There's mm. my there's my prod. Oh, On the I other side, it. check yourself if you have an inclination towards calling people out and shaming them when they're trying, when they're genuinely trying. When they're not trying, fine, throw them down. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. Well, Katie, thank you for that. That was fantastic. Uh, we are coming up on time. So any parting thoughts for our audience this month? Go to Audible. <laughs> Go to Audible. I will uh, I will also mention, because they were nice enough to have me on, I was recently on another podcast called Trust Me When I Tell You. I will tell you that they are uh, four or five guys that I know. Um, it is a much different, much different podcast and, uh, than, than this one. It's It's a lot more lighthearted. I swear a lot more, and I was probably having a couple beverages while I participated in it. But they're really good guys, and uh, they have a lot of fun. So if you are looking for another one, they are on, I think, uh, Spotify as well as um, Apple Podcasts as well. And it's it's trust me when I tell you. So I'll give them trust a plug. Trust me when I tell you this. But uh, thanks so much, Katie. Look forward to talking to you again soon. Yeah, nice to see you guys.